This is Gordon Vernick with Jazz Insights. Today I'd like to talk about the great Duke Ellington. He is one of the most important figures in American music in the 20th century for a number of reasons. As a composer, as an arranger, as a visionary, as a band leader, and I think most important is someone who was able to get the maximum potential out of his musicians that work for him. He really is in a category by himself for a lot of reasons. Um, and also one of the most confusing figures in American music for some reasons which I hopefully will be able to get into. So to give you an idea about the complexity of the man also. Ellington was born in uh, around the turn of the century in a relatively well-to-do family in Washington, D.C. He studied piano at an early age. He also studied art. And at one point in his life, he had a choice of becoming an artist or a musician. Back then, in terms of pop music, people didn't go to school. They just decided to become professional and became professional, learned pretty much on the job. Ellington decided he wanted to be a musician. And as a teenager, he had a band in Washington, D.C., and played most of what we refer to today as society parties. Not real jazz, but very nice polite kind of parlor, ragtime, some jazz-inflected music, but not real jazz like we would think of jazz from New Orleans or um, you know, the Mississippi Delta, the blues-inflected music. He, in the early 20s, went to New York City, and he played with a wonderful band leader by the name of Wilbur Sweatman. I think that was his first real exposure to um, big band music. You know, he stayed around New York City, became part of the Harlem Stride pianist group of musicians, which include Fats Waller, James B. Johnson, Willie Lyon-Smith, and Ellington himself was quite a good stride pianist, but he really had a vision and a goal that was much greater than just being a fine pianist. He wanted to present his music and himself in a different manner. So in the mid-1920s, we had some great big bands in New York City. And Duke Ellington was just kind of on the periphery. Let's flash forward to 1927 with a Duke Ellington Orchestra at the Cotton Club. The Cotton Club was the most famous club in all of Harlem. And this is in the middle of the Harlem Renaissance. So a lot of wealthy whites would travel up to Harlem, which is in uptown Manhattan, and go to the Cotton Club, which presented ornate floor shows with great music, singing, dancing with comedians. It was a whites-only club. The name Cotton Club kind of was a pejorative term, which brought to mind life on a plantation. The story of how Ellington got the job at the Cotton Club is very interesting, and it's a great story. Irving Mills, his agent and manager, was connected in the 1920s with the mob, with the underworld. And you have to remember that this is during Prohibition, so all night clubs that served alcohol were basically performing an, an illegal service. But Mills was connected with all the mobsters and all the right people in New York City in the publishing, recording, and the entertainment business. And he went to Ellington and said, um, I have an opportunity for you to go into the Cotton Club. Do you want to do it? And Ellington said, well, I have an obligation in a nightclub in Philadelphia. And Irving Mills says, don't worry about it. My people will take care of it. And as the story goes on, the owners of the Cotton Club sent a telegram to the owners of the nightclub in Philadelphia explaining the situation. And I believe the last part of the telegram read, be big or be dead. In other words, if you don't let Ellington out of his contract, we will kill you and burn your club down. Needless to say, they let Ellington out of his contract, and he opened up at the Cotton Club in 1927 with, I believe, a nine- or ten-piece group. 
The Cotton Club had great shows, and a lot of the groups that performed there, singers and dancers, didn't have their own music. So Ellington had to write a lot of music on the spot for these groups. The group that Ellington had was really centered around one important soloist by the name of Bubber Miley. And the first style of music that we associate with Ellington is called the jungle style. Let's listen to a few jungle pieces, and then we'll try to identify what makes it a jungle piece. This first one is called East St. Louis Toodaloo from the Cotton Club Orchestra, circa 1927 in Harlem, New York. The jungle style was centered around one particular soloist who really is the secret to Ellington's early success, and his name was Bubber Miley, actually James Miley, and they called him Bubber. Miley was from South Carolina, but was intimately familiar with the style of all the great jazz trumpet players coming out of New Orleans and Chicago, and modeled much of his playing after Louis Armstrong's. But the thing about Miley's playing was he was a master at using a plunger mute to get this kind of guttural, scary sound that almost had a human-like quality, which we'll talk about later. The sound that Miley was getting on the trumpet became an integral part of the Ellington style. As I said before, Ellington he didn't have much experience with real New Orleans-style jazz. His background is in more what we call society or proper music, but he understood the, the value and really wanted to integrate that kind of wild New Orleans sound into his music in New York in the, in the 1920s. And so that also made him quite unique. And to that end, he also hired the great uh, saxophonist and clarinetist Sidney Bechet. That collaboration didn't work out well, but Ellington knew what he wanted and what he needed was a great soloist who could bring that inflection and energy of the New Orleans via Chicago-style jazz. That He couldn't find people in New York to do it, so he had to bring in people from out of town. So Miley's sound was integral and is the secret to the success. The entire arrangement, East St. Louis Toodaloo, is really written around Miley's sound, which is another thing about Ellington, is that he wrote a lot of music for specific musicians in his orchestra, not for a trumpet player, but for the trumpet player in his group, whether it be Cootie Williams, Bubber Miley, or Rex Stewart. So he really custom-tailored these arrangements to feature him. Another important part about the jungle music, the songs usually started in a slow tempo in the minor mode with a growling trumpet or trombone and then quickly would transition to the major mode and then go back and forth between major and minor. I call them Frankenstein arrangements because this is early in Ellington's career when he was just really beginning to learn how to arrange. Composition and arranging are two completely separate things. You can write a song, but you may not be able to arrange it for an orchestra. So Ellington could write songs, but he was learning how to write arrangements in kind of an organic style. He was not a trained arranger or musician. He found that certain things worked and they became part of Ellington's bag of tricks. And the first part is the sound of the growling brass. Let's listen to another piece in the style from the Cotton Club period in the late 1920s. This is called the Mooch.
The next piece we're going to listen to is also in that jungle style from the late 20s in the Cotton Club period. And this is called Black and Tan Fantasy. And again, it features Bubber Miley on uh, that growl muted trumpet. ability to recognize talent and utilize the specific talents of these musicians in his group was really, I believe, the secret to his success. Also, as he progresses through the 1920s and the 30s, his arrangements are more finely crafted, and he really becomes one of the great arrangers and composers of this 20th century. But the first arrangements are not great. They're really based on the talents of these individual soloists. I'd like to do a demonstration in the studio here to give you an idea of what the plunger mute sounds like and the different ways that the great plunger mute soloists who performed with Ellington for over 50 years, they all had to master that plunger. Back in the early days, a lot of the musicians made their own mutes, but I have in my possession some of the equipment, the same equipment that Miley and the great Cootie Williams used in the 30s. I'm going to use one particular song, and it's Caravan, which was written by Juan Tizol for the Duke Ellington Orchestra in the mid-1930s. So this is open bell. In other words, there's nothing in the bell of my trumpet to change or manipulate the sound. Barbara Miley would first take a, a plunger, just a, a rubber plunger, better known as a plumber's helper, that fits over the bell of the trumpet. And one thing is real important, you have to cut out a little tiny hole where the wooden stick goes into the plunger. And I must tell you that when I go to buy these in the hardware store, I always take my trumpet and I get a lot of strange looks from the people who are shopping there and the people who work there. So this is with a rubber plunger. This is without growling. If I add what's called the growl to it, it gives it this sinister sound. And this is one of the secrets to uh, Bubber Miley's sound and also to Cootie Williams, who in 1929 or 1930 replaced him. The last component, you have to insert a tiny mute that looks like a miniature straight mute into the bell of the trumpet, and this is called a pixie. So when I put this last piece in here, now we're going to get to what the real sound of the Ellington jungle music is based on. This is with a plunger growling with a pixie mute, a tiny mute that you can hardly see in the bell of the trumpet.
that makes it sound almost like a chainsaw. It's a very aggressive sound, very unique sound, originally based around the great stylings of Bubber Miley, who left the group in 1930 and was replaced by Cootie Williams. Let's finish this segment with a great piece from this period. This is called Hot and Bothered, and it also features Bubber Miley growling. It features Baby Cox, who was a dancer and also singing with the group. And this particular piece was written for a group of dancers, much like the Rockettes at Radio City Hall. So close your eyes, put yourself back in the 1928 in the Cotton Club, and you're seeing this group of female dancers flying across the stage doing a group dance and listening to Ellington's band playing Hot and Bothered. <laughs> 